Survival Podcast. If you're tracking it as a Bitcoin Breakout episode, it is episode 34 of the Bitcoin Breakout, a production of the SurvivalPodcast.com. And today, these two worlds truly merge. We're going to talk about why so many Bitcoiners become preppers. And when I say prepper in this, you know, you put prepper in the title because you only fit so much in the title and you want to attract attention. I mean, we're all guilty of it as content producers. I try not to be clickbaity, but you want to put something up that people want to look at. Um, I really mean preppers, homesteaders, fans of alternative energy. I'm talking about all the stuff that we teach at the Survival Podcast, not a bunch of beans, bullets and Band-Aids and hiding a bunker. In fact, that's actually what we're going to combat today. I want to talk to you about some of the conversations I've had with big-name Bitcoiners about this, both on air and behind the scenes, and more behind the scenes. Some real misconceptions. The idea that people come into prepping always is baby preppers. And I don't say that as an insult. I came into prepping as a baby prepper. If you're a prepper, you came into prepping as a baby prepper. And you may not have come from the Bitcoin vector. In fact, most of you in my audience didn't. I'm fully aware that when I put out shows for the Survival Podcast, the least popular ones, unfortunately, due to resistance and thick skulls, is the Bitcoin content. And so it doesn't really matter where people come from. But right now what we have is a tremendous number of people who are Bitcoiners coming into this space and starting to ask some really great questions about life. Before we go further on this, let me remind you real quick. You can see it on the screen if you're watching the video. I will never contact you for any private information in any sort of back channel along YouTube comments, Instagram DMs, Twitter DMs, any of that stuff. There's tons of people out there that pretend to be other people that try to sucker people out of like private key information and all types of other things. Personal information. Do not think just because somebody has my freaking logo, it's me. Anybody can right click and save an image. I'm looking at you, NFT community. Anyway, um, moving on from this, I, I just... Again, I want to talk about how I've had some conversations with people and it really shows me that people in the Bitcoin space are starting to ask questions about food and their food supply, about the overall supply chain in general. They're starting to ask questions about our energy and where it comes from and how reliable it really is. And they're starting to accumulate wealth. And something that I've noticed, and I've, I've worked with wealthy people for, you know, the at least the second half of my life, the last 20-ish years, um, the more wealth a person has, the more likely they are eventually to go into this place. Because the more you have to lose, the more you start thinking about defending it. And another thing about this that makes Bitcoin uh, folks, pr you know, pretty much likely to end up here is as they accumulate wealth – they also accumulate something that very few people really accumulate in their lives, defendable wealth, wealth the state just can't reach out and take. I don't care who you are. I don't care how much money you're worth. Uh, and there are people that are you know, so wealthy, they're somewhat untouchable. At least some piece of their wealth has been made untouchable. But in general, you can be worth a few million, a few tens of millions of dollars, and the government can wipe you out like that with very little justification. And... 
things in society can make your money not mean anything, like a complete total breakdown of the social order, a breakup of the United States. Soviet Union style could really put a lot of wealth and a lot of people's lives at risk. So in general, the more people become aware of risks to what they have and accumulate where they feel I don't want to lose what I have, the more likely they are to end up in this space. And Bitcoiners are no different. So we'll dig into all that in just a minute. Let's start off with our sponsors of the day, though, real quick. Sponsor of the day number one today is John Pugliano with InvestableWealth.com and the Wealth Steading Podcast. John gives away all his insights and knowledge about investing for free on the Wealth Studying Podcast. You should really check it out. He's also a member of our expert council. He answers probably three to four questions a month. He's one of my most reliable expert council folks about getting those answers back to me for our Friday shows. He has the heart of a servant. He's a great guy, and he's a prepper like us. He's also into ham radio and guns and reloading and all kinds of other skill sets. Check him out today again, thewealthsteadingpodcast.com. Remember, he's on Fountain FM, too, so you Bitcoin folks, throw him a little value for value because the information he gives away is priceless. So throw a few sats back at him. Next up, bulkammo.com. We are going to talk about firearms a little bit today. That's always part of the prepping world, having a means of defense. But if you have a gun and you're out of ammo, you have an expensive club. So you want to make sure that you're stocked up on ammo. So you can do that at bulkammo.com. All the common calibers, everything you're looking for in bulk with lightning fast shipping to your door. And bulk ammo gives a discount to my members of my member support brigade. So just on bulk ammo purchases, you could probably get your money back over, let's say, a year or two of MSB membership just from that one discount provider alone. So real quick, consider joining the member support brigade. You won't find it at Bitcoin Breakout. I probably should put it over there, too. But the survivalpodcast.com and click on members to learn more. All right. With that, let's go ahead and get into it. Let me remind you guys as well, if you have questions or talking points or anything like that for me that you want me to comment on, it is really important when I'm solo especially, and I don't have a guest to like take up half of the discussion, that you put your questions or talking points in all caps. Also, please do me a favor. If it's not a question or a talking point for me, if you're just trying to make a point, don't use all caps. It'll it'll help me a lot. You don't need to yell at people with all caps. It's just to get my attention and make it easier for me to see out of my one good eye. You commenters about, what's wrong with your eye? I'm blind in my left eye. Get over it. All right, I'm over it. You should be too. All right, so let's go ahead and uh, start this out. So, where I think this really comes from, the point where Bitcoiners start to dig into the prepper world. And again, I'm talking about the homesteading world. I am talking about backup power. I am talking about regenerative agriculture. I'm talking about permaculture. I'm talking about changing your diet to a more nutrition-based regime. Stop believing the lies that the food pyramid was created on. And I really did create Bitcoin Breakout because I saw so much of this happening. It only seems to be continuing to accelerate. I think where it really stems from, the root of it, and then it then it breaks off to multifaceted thing, comment like Fibonacci and you know multiples of multiples. Um, but it is from the standpoint of Bitcoin reveals the truth. When you first hear about Bitcoin, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense unless you're just one of these gifted people that's open to new things and it hits you on the right moment, on the right day, at the right time, right? 
it's like, okay, so people are just going to have these computers running and it's going to make money. And then I'm going to be able to exchange money with other people, but who takes it and who doesn't. And for some of us, it really was hard to get because if you've been in, in the, the space as long as I have, then back when we started, the answer to who accepts it as payment was almost nobody. It was you could buy drugs with it on Silk Road and you could buy some services that didn't have inventory behind them, like web hosting or something where, you know, early adopters were willing to take payment on something they didn't have to purchase on the back end. They have no heavy load cost against it. Right. And so it was even harder to get your head around. You know, there's the famous pizza day where somebody spent, you know, something like a couple billion dollars worth of Bitcoin a day to buy two pizzas from Domino's or something. So. That was hard. And eventually what happens is most people that come into the Bitcoin space do not come in because they understand Bitcoin or they understand the concept of freedom and how Bitcoin and freedom work together. They come in because of a belief number go up. And that means that actually a lot of people entering the Bitcoin space in the last four to six years have not come on board into Bitcoin. They've onboarded into shit coins. They've dabbled around in shit coins. They eventually decide maybe I should have some Bitcoin too. They start buying a little Bitcoin and they start to investigate it and they start to discover this is, this is the actual thing. And they stop thinking number go up and just accept that as a byproduct of how the system works. It is going to go up across time forever as to a human lifetime, right? What, what's going to happen a thousand years from now? I don't really know. I don't claim like Michael Saylor, Bitcoin will be here when we're an interstellar species. I don't know. But looking at things the way they are now, I'm pretty confident saying I'll die before Bitcoin stops going up. And that my grandkids will probably die before Bitcoin stops going up. And so they find that and then they, they get into Bitcoin and they start digging into things like the first principles. They start digging into what money really is. They start asking questions and they start finding answers. And as they do, they realize the actual truth about what we call money, which is simply currency, as to the U.S. dollar, the, the British pound, the euro, all of it, that it's all the same thing. It's all a centralized scam run by international bankers that create money out of thin air. They learn about the, the Cantillon effect. They learn about all these things, and they realize that all money is debt with an unlimited supply. And because they came out of the shitcoin space, or some of us, we went, we were Bitcoiners first, and then we expanded into the shitcoin space. You should be able to forgive that because we were there when the first shitcoins were created, right? So it seemed obvious, like, well, there should be some other options here, use case scenarios, etc. When you get into that space and you start digging around in there as well, you start to look at things and go, well... Why would I want to invest in this particular shitcoin that has a cap of 200 billion units? You start to realize how stupid that is. And then you look at the dollar and you look at the dollar system. You look at the, the debt-backed currency and you start to say, wait a minute. Everything I've been told my whole life about the monetary system is a lie. The monetary system is basically a system by where they mint money through the issuance of debt and the debt – and the closer you are to the faucet, the more you can resell the money for. And it's a scam that takes money out of everybody's pocket through a hidden tax called inflation. Right. And if you are if you are a person that that gets to that point, you start to look at all the things a little bit differently and you start to truly understand 
the genius of Bitcoin, being enforced by mathematics and backed by energy and security. And then you make the and this is not a really a Bitcoin episode. We're about to turn a corner here. You start to ask the obvious question. If they lied to me about money, if I got out of college with a bachelor's or a master's or a freaking Ph.D., and in some cases these people have degrees in economics, and I didn't really know what money was and how money worked until now, geez, maybe, just maybe, the media, the education system, and the government haven't been straight with me about everything else in the world. So the next obvious question is, well, what else have I been lied to about? And so people start asking questions about, like, well, what is the role of government? What does government actually do? And does it make sense? Is it right what government's doing? They start to ask questions about nutrition and health. Why are people fat? I mean, I look at it this way. Even if you're not as old as me, and I'm getting old, right? Look at all the gray in the beard. Now I'm 50. There's a lot of you out there that listen to me that are 25, 30 years old. Some of you even younger than that. God bless you for it. Thank you. The future is the youth. Um, You probably looked at pictures before they were digitized in a book in your family. And you had a book, you know, you look at there's probably a bunch of them still in your family. Right. Because all of us old people, we're not dead yet. And we used to take pictures and go to the photo hut and wait two days to get our pictures developed. And we had to pay a lot of money for those pictures. And half of them were crap, bad exposures, whatever. You didn't know until you picked up the film and took it home. And then the ones you really liked, you went back with negatives and you got more of them made and you put them in these things called photo albums. So even though it's archaic technology now, many of you have experienced it and you've paged through these books. And if you look at your family and family gatherings and public events and stuff like that, and you said to yourself, self, gee, look, there's not a lot of freaking fat people in these pictures. And then you go out in public or you look at pictures of the public today or you go to a public event and every other person is and you're like, wait a minute. My grandpa ate bacon and eggs every morning of his life. And he wasn't fat. When I was in school, we had a fat kid. Now it's a skinny kid in, in a class, not a fat kid, right? Like everybody's fat. Kids are fat. They're making double caskets. Like, okay, something's wrong. There is no way that... We went from a nation of mostly fit people to a nation of mostly fat people, and we have dialysis clinics due to type 2 diabetes put, being put in at a rate commensurate with the expansion of a fast food restaurant. And there's not something wrong with the advice that people are being given about what to eat because our grandparents weren't counting calories, and yet they weren't morbidly obese by the majority. What went wrong? So you start asking that question. You also start asking questions like, well, what is true wealth? Most people that come into Bitcoin, especially younger people, they've never saved money in their life. Maybe they tick the box for 3% or 5% of 401k, and they don't really understand it, and they never touched the money before it was contributed, and they got their employer match, and they get a statement, and it's just a number, and it doesn't really make sense to them, but it's what you're supposed to do, and it's what I've been told to do, so I do it. But when you start to actually take possession of something like Bitcoin and you start to build wealth in your life 
and you actually don't spend all the money you earn and you put some of it in reserve, you start to go, wait a minute. So now I have a financial reserve. That's a form of wealth. But what is wealth? What good is my Bitcoin if society falls apart and I'm not prepared to deal with that? What will I be able to do with it? And how long will it last, even if it's accepted? So you start to say, this is a great plan, this Bitcoin plan, but it's plan one. And maybe I need to have a more diverse system of planning, even if whatever goes wrong eventually comes back around. And I have faith that Bitcoin will still have its value. What if I'm dead or what if I lose everything else I have in the interim? What is my plan in that interim? So you know that I've been lied to about money. I've been lied to about the, the role of government and government's need to oppress liberty has been so over programmed in our minds. And I, you start to get into more libertarian anarcho thought, even if you're a freaking leftist, you start to like really start to question, like, do we need this much interference in our life? You also say, wait a minute. I was told that only the government could be powerful enough to make money, to actually create money. To, under, to, to oversee monetary creation, the, the flow control, all of that, that that was one role government had to do. Without the United States government and the full faith and credit, there would not be a dollar, and the dollar would be worthless, and no one can do that. We have to have some state to do it somewhere, and every state has its own currency. And then all of a sudden, a group of hackers prove that wrong. So now we're questioning everything. So we want to know what true wealth is. And we start to also say, okay, I can defend this particular form of wealth. But what is wealth? And you start to say, well, my property is wealth. Food that I have in reserve for my family is wealth. My tools are wealth. If I have a business I've built, then that business is a form of wealth. If I have relationships, if I have community around me, all these are forms of wealth. But what if somebody comes to try to harm that, take that? I need to be able to defend myself. My wife Right. And this is not some throwback to some primitive bullshit is part of my wealth. And I am part of hers. It's not that I possess her. It's that there's an extreme value to me in my relationship with my wife, with my grandchildren, with my son, with my daughter. Those are incredibly valuable things to me. Therefore, they are a piece of my wealth. And if you try to harm them, then I will harm you. This is a perfectly natural human response. These people are important to me. You will not harm them. Oh, by the way, I'm important to them. I provide for them. I protect them. So I have to protect myself because if I don't do that and somebody takes me or something takes me out, then I'm not there to do that for them, and they're going to lose a part of their wealth. Yeah? See how simple that actually is? But people just don't explain it that way. So then... We come into the world of, let's say, firearms and self-defense and a right of self-defense being inherent to the nature of a human being. That I have a right to defend what's mine. I have a right to defend my life, my liberty, my property, and my family. And no one shall take that right from me. And I've been exposed to the fact that something can be defensible, even money, even electronic money. I can have a form of electronic money. That you can have all the super hackers, you can have everything you want, and you can't do dick about it. You are trying to guess the right atom in the known universe to get to my money, and there's thousands, millions of people like me out there you're trying to do it to, and you can't. So this is building up that store of value. And so it leads to prepping. So 
you know, this is what I call like rich guy syndrome. So this is not, again, this is not just about, you know, Bitcoiners. So when I worked with Neil Franklin and I was tied into his network and these were all extremely wealthy people, people with net wealth measured in the tens of millions to hundreds of millions of dollars. Almost everyone eventually would have some sort of bent toward preparedness, prepping, survivalism, stored food. They have lots of money, so they think bunkers and isolated properties and all of the same shit you see on Doomsday Preppers. And the reason is because they have something to lose. And the more you have to lose, the more you fear losing it. And so you come into this baby prepper space. And this is the path I see that happens to, again, Bitcoiners and everybody. You get red-pilled abruptly. You always know there's something to worry about, but something in your individual journey trips a switch. Click. Oh, everything isn't super. I actually have an episode of the Survival Podcast I did years ago called Holy Crap, I Just Figured Out Everything Isn't Super. It's about this very phenomenon. This can be a lot of things. It can be somebody recommends a book and you read it and it talks about an EMP knocking out all the power or a financial collapse and a doomsday scenario. And the Belgians come and try to gas all the Americans to pacify this this remote continent where all the real patriots are or whatever it is. You discover the, the, the national debt clock for the first time. There's all types of red pills that people consume and then boom. Holy crap. And then they become convinced that whatever their version of collapse is, is not just going to happen, but it's going to happen soon. And this puts a person into a state of fear, no matter what they claim. I'm not afraid. I got my AR and my AK and my shotgun and my bunker. Dude, you're afraid. Right. Just by you asserting that those things are what make you not afraid, you're afraid. They go to the beans, bullets, and band-aids solution. That's the first stop for everybody. Again, I'm not putting anybody down. I'm just telling you this is the path that the preponderance of people take. And if you want to say not you, then maybe you didn't, but I will tell you you're the exception. You are the exception. So that happens, and then they become obsessed with finding the truth and learning about everything. So all the stuff that they're concerned about, but all the other things. How do I grow my own food? How do I go off-grid? All of the things. How do I build a community of like-minded individuals so we can fight everybody off with our guns, whatever it is? And as they're on that, they develop a perception bias. And this is why Doomsday Preppers was a stupid show, but it's a perfect case study in what I'm talking about. Even though the producers would lie about the person that they were showcasing. Every single person on that stupid, moronic show made by a completely unethical producer, who I know is unethical because I met him face-to-face when they tried to get me on that show, and he told me he had to be unethical and he couldn't afford to have ethics in his business. Okay? So I'm not I'm not speaking out of turn here, right? Um, they would always say something like, my name is so-and-so, so-and-so, and I'm preparing for an economic collapse. My name is Jackoff Jimbo, and I am preparing for uh, a coronal mass ejection. Right. And and whatever it was, there was always a specific thing. And this is real to a degree, because what happens is people find that thing that wakes them up. They're red pill to the fact that everything isn't super. And then they say, I got to learn everything I can about 
an economic collapse. I got to learn everything I can about a pending civil war. I got to learn everything I can about an EMP or a CME. And so that becomes their thing and they get laser focused on it. And that's why this unethical producer used it because it sells. If it bleeds, it leads. It doesn't just apply to news. Okay. And so then when they go into that search, they go into it with a pre, like I need to justify all this bullshit that I'm about to spend money and time and energy doing. So I need to convince myself that it's worth doing. So they do the worst thing possible. They only seek the information that confirms their perception bias. And again, all of us do this. If you're feeling like I'm targeting you today, like I'm not. You just have not been on the journey as long as, as some others have. If I had been to a particular city a hundred times and you'd been there twice and I started telling you that, gee, really the place that you love to eat at is not the best place to eat in the city, right? You might actually listen to me because you're like, dude's been there a hundred times. He's eaten in a lot more restaurants there than me. Maybe there is a better place, right? Or if I lived there and you only visited and I gave you that advice, you wouldn't think I was talking down to you for saying XYZ restaurant isn't that great. ABC is better. You think, well, maybe, you know, maybe we just have different opinions on this, but maybe, maybe he's right. That's, that's the angle I'm com coming at to you for this today. Um, and then they overreact to the least of threats that ignore the most likely. So the person's preparing for a zombie apocalypse doesn't have life insurance. Person is preparing to defend their home from an armed invasion that they couldn't sustain and, and win, even if they thought they were prepared. If there's an actual tactical team that targets you, if it's people my level, and I got three other guys at my level, and I ain't that good, you're dead. Every single one of you. Your little home defense perimeter or whatever. Like if we scout you in advance and we choose the time and place of our attack, you're all dead. You're all dead before you had a chance to get to your weapon, before you had a chance to draw your sidearm. You're all dead. And anybody that knows what they're doing, that's how they set up an attack. That's why we'll get to some stuff later about why all this, I hired a Green Beret to consult with me, is it's just dumb. For 90% of, of people that would do it, it's dumb anyway. I'm sorry, it is. It's nothing against Green Berets. It's just the truth. So they're all worried about all of these things, and you don't have freaking insurance on your property for fire. You haven't set up things from a legally defensive point because the biggest threat to your property isn't an armed gang of thugs. It's the government, which is an armed gang of thugs of a different kind. But you can't combat them with your AR. So they ignore all of the things that they're most likely to actually need to prepare for and, and go to the extreme, right? Then they read prepper porn like Patriots McCumming Collapse, and they take it seriously and literally when the author of that book never meant for it to be taken completely literally, okay? And I know because I interviewed him, and he said so, right? It, 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 was a, it was a way of teaching all these things in a narrative, yeah? And then they make a lot of mistakes and spend a lot of money unwisely. And that's the reason I do what I do every day and teach what I teach every day. Because at that point, if that person's taken that full journey that way and they didn't get any sort of intervention in between, okay, if you didn't get any sort of intervention in between those two spots, then you get there and you eventually realize, well, this was stupid. 
I'm out tens of thousands of dollars and I am no more safe or secure. And my life is kind of miserable now. And they, they go to one or two places. They fall out and go back to living life as normal and like everything's just okay. And they forget what they learned. They can't remember what they know because they can't do it because it hurts or they make a turn and they become a practical prepper, which basically means they practice non brittle lifestyle design, which is really what my show is about. Non brittle lifestyle design. But if I called it the non brittle lifestyle design podcast, I wouldn't still be doing it 15 years later and be successful and make money on it. But that's what it really is. That's what modern survivalism, which is the philosophy I teach, is, is building your life in a non-brittle way through conscious, intentional design decision so that you have as much defense against threats as possible without completely at the expense of, like, the quality of your life, the enjoyment of your life, freedom, and a willingness to participate in their system where you choose as you choose. I will probably take my wife out for a wonderful lunch after the kids leave in the midday on Friday because three weeks a month, my grandchildren on Friday go home to mommy early because she works half days. So that's a date day for my wife and I. So we'll go to a fantastic restaurant, have a fantastic meal, spend probably more money than I should on it, but I can because I've built a non-brittle life. Yeah, that's what we teach. And at the same time, when the power went out for a week in the middle of the big freeze two years ago here in Texas, I didn't give a shit. I didn't care. When they closed down the economy for, for COVID, I didn't care. I have my own little wonderland in my homestead in my backyard. I got all the food that I want. People were out cleaning the, the, the shelves of dry goods with no idea how to even cook them. People that are, are, are stretching their culinary limit to make toast went out and bought dry beans because the TV told them to. And I didn't care. That's non-brittle lifestyle design. It is preparedness. It is prepping. It is survivalism. What does survivalist mean? Does anybody ever, like, have you ever, those of you that are new to this whole thing, you, I want to be a survivalist. Well, don't you think you should know what the word means? Survival means to continue to exist. Ist, I-S-T, is a suffix. goes at the end of a word. And it indicates one who specializes in. A botanist is one who specializes in plants. A biologist is one who specializes in living things. A microbiologist specializes in tiny living things. A survivalist specializes in continuing to exist. Most people that say they're survivalists, if you ask them what survivalist means, they can't even answer it the most basic definition of the word. We are all survivalists as we all seek to continue to exist, and we all try to develop more and more expertise in our life, like, hey, look both ways before you cross the street. That's a survival tactic. Here's another one for those of you that think you need all the guns and all the weaponry. Number one, don't do stupid things in stupid places with stupid people. That will solve 90% of your need to ever physically defend yourself. The other 10% is real. That's why I'm an armed citizen. That's why I know how to handle myself physically. That's why I'm situationally aware. That's why I live where I do versus in the suburbs down the road where people are getting their shit robbed every day by porch pirates, right? That's why I made all those decisions. But I'm also acutely aware that 90% of the time that people end up in physical altercations and trouble, they went to a stupid place. They likely did so with a stupid person, and they did a stupid thing. And a stupid thing is not necessarily like using power tools without, you know, eye protection, 
It could be going to a place that has an inherent danger and acting like you are in a completely safe gated community. That's a stupid thing. You didn't do anything wrong, but you did do something stupid, and you did stupidity out of ignorance because nobody ever taught you this. Because we take our children and we put them into indoctrination for 13 years, K through 12, on a mandatory basis, and we don't teach them that basic thing. I don't even know if they teach kids to look left, right, and left before you cross the street anymore. I don't even know if they teach that. At least they taught that when I was in, like, you know, first grade and what have you. Maybe they do. Maybe they don't. I don't know. But that's survivalism. That's what being a survivalist is. So once we get there, we start to ask ourselves, well, how would I defend myself? And this is where I want to talk about the mistake. And I have heard this now from three huge names in direct conversations in the Bitcoin community. I know all three of them are not connected to each other, even though they're telling the same story. It's either a Navy SEAL. That one was on the air, and I respect the shit out of Mark Moss, and I love the guy, and I, he's, I'm a tremendous fan of his, but he, he on the air on my show during an interview said, I got this Navy SEAL guy. He came to my place, and he said, well, you tell me what you think is going to happen, and then I can help you de- develop a defensive plan for that. This is why you don't hire Navy SEALs to do this. If you were a consultant and you went into that environment, what you would do is you would look at it and say, this is what's most likely to happen, and here's how to defend against it. Not you tell me what you think. Right? That's because they don't really know what to do. Another person recently in a discussion, huge name in Bitcoin, I won't name him because it wasn't on the air, private conversation. He's hired a Green Beret. He's looking to build communities for Bitcoiners. And the Green Beret is going to help him tell them how to build that and then another one who's, you know, got a friend and my friend, man, he was in Delta Force. Well, you should maybe check on whether or not that's true. I'm not saying it isn't, but when I meet somebody and they tell me they were special forces and the next thing out of their mouth is Delta Force, that is a very small community of people. And it's the one everybody knows. So I'm less likely to believe you. But it's the same type of scenario. I'm looking to put together this community for my family and then have other people that live on the outskirts. And I got this Delta Force dude, and he's going to help me do it. Okay. There's a couple of problems with this. One is, as badass as these guys are, and I'm not saying they're not, their whole training and modus operandi is in a totally different world, supplied by a military supply line. And yes, I know they're trained to work behind the scenes and live off the land and all that. Yeah, yeah. Well-armed, able to call in for freaking air support and things like that. And they don't know the first thing about how to grow food. They don't know the first thing about how to set up a system for water. They might know, hey, if you boil the water, you can drink it. We all know that. They're great at what they do. But what they do pertains to, if you're lucky, 5% of what you need to prepare for. So I'm not saying that, you know, turn away solid tactical advice from somebody with tactical knowledge at all. I'm just saying if they're marketing themselves as a consultant for this type of thing, They probably have no idea how to actually set up a non-brittle lifestyle for you, which is what you really need to do. They know one little piece, which is how to set up defensive perimeters, which unless you have sufficient manpower to do, you ain't going to do it. You ain't going to do it. Trust me, I know. It ain't going to happen. So why are you going to put all this – it's not – Don't pay attention to it all. Why are you going to put the majority of your focus on that? 
instead of things like, well, how do I feed myself, et cetera? Because if you get into it, there are six primary survival needs that you need to be seeing to if you are going to have a defensible position, not just from bad guys, but from all the things that can go wrong. If you're going to have a non-brittle life, they are food, water, shelter, energy, health and sanitation, and security. In no particular order, though, you know, water is the one you'll die without first 99% of the time. There's no absolutes in any of this. Food, water, shelter, energy, security, health, and sanitation. So let's talk about each of those just a little bit. Food. I shouldn't have to say anything, but food security is the first of all securities. It really is. If you go to a place in the world where you need to hire people with guns to follow you around so you don't get abducted, I promise you that at least half the people where you're at are not sure they're going to have a meal that day. And when you go to places where people are fed, even if they're dangerous places, but people have security and knowledge that they will eat today, it's always less dangerous. And it's because you have to put food on the table. There's a reason it's a cliche. And you probably eat every day, even if you get into keto or paleo or whatever, and you do 48-hour fast, most days you eat. Even if you're like me, and instead of eating your three squares a day plus your two snacks, because that's what the government says, and you're a two-meal-a-day person, right? I haven't eaten yet today. It's, what, 12.07, my time. My last time I ate was about 6.30 last night, and I haven't eaten, and I'm not hungry. Even if that's the case, even if you have fasting superpowers, sooner or later you're going to have to eat. And you do it most of the time every day. I've been shot at once in my life when I was in the military. I didn't care for it. I've been in a few fights, not a lot, you know, other than like sparring and competition and stuff in martial arts. But I mean, in actual fights, just a few. And I used to throw people out of a bar for a living for a couple of years. Okay. And I still, all in that, I hit a guy one time in, in doing that. I actually had to hit somebody once in the whole time. But I've eaten pretty much almost every day of my life. So you might see to that first. Water, you can't go that long without water. Now, I know people will say, well, I've heard of dry fasting, and you're not supposed to be able to make it three days without water, but this guy went a week or whatever. Yeah, in an air-conditioned room, well-prepared in advance, and well-hydrated, sure. But if you have to go outside and work to earn your bread, even if it's not bread, and it's hot outside, you can dehydrate in well less than the three days that they say you have. So we need to have water and we need a clean supply of water. And all these things are linked because when we get to sanitation and health, I'm going to show you how quickly they link back to those first two. Shelter. You have to have shelter, right? And if you don't have shelter, you have a problem. And your primary threat to your shelter is not roving gangs. It's things like having your property seized for failure to pay taxes or eminent domain or what have you. There's a lot of ways around this. I don't want any property that's anywhere near the easement, let alone in the easement of a road or a highway. And there's usually always some, right? There's usually always some risk of something like that. But you can mitigate it a great deal just by choosing the right property. How do you hold your property? Do you hold it as personal property? Or do you hold it in some form of trust? Or do you form it, hold it in some form of LLP? Do you have an LLC that holds an LLP that holds the property, creating a dual corporate veil? Like, and should you do that? 
It depends. There is no one answer like this is the right way to hold a piece of property. Where's the property? Do you live in it as a primary residence? What are your other assets? What are your like all of these things fit into this. But your number one threat to your shelter is natural disaster, fire and government. But where do put people put 90% or more of the of the of the the, the, the effort? Zombie apocalypse. Because it's an excuse to go buy guns. I like guns too, guys. Got lots of them. Love them. But I'm not going to lie to myself to justify another purchase. Because it doesn't make sense. I can only use so many guns at one time and I don't have a squad with me. And you probably don't either. Even if in your fantasy world you will one day. They can bring their own guns. Yeah? Then you've got energy. What energy is is labor you don't have to expend. I want you to start thinking about labor, uh, energy totally different than just all the conveniences and all. When you have energy, right, electricity, yeah. Yesterday, I went out and was doing some work on my gardens, and I have these two 12-foot sections of cattle panel that act as a trellis for my garden. And when I installed them, I really put the bottoms lower than I should have and I don't really want to raise them up. So what was the solution? Cut the first two levels off the bottom. I used an angle grinder. It took a couple minutes. I did the work, but the angle grinder did more of the work because I had energy on my side. Otherwise, I could have been out there with a hacksaw and then a file so nobody gets cut reaching under to pick the beans. Yeah. So energy reduced my labor. When you put gas in your car and you drive down the road at 90 miles an hour and you get someplace in 10 minutes versus 10 hours on foot, that was energy that was saving you the labor. When you use a piece of equipment like a skill saw to cut a board in half, you could have done it with a, a handsaw. But if you're cutting a lot of boards today, you see what energy really does when you cook your food on a gas stove or an electric stove or a grill, it's saving you the labor of chopping wood, building a fire, you know, coming up with some way to cook over. Oh, I like to do it, but it's I don't want to do it every day. This is not freaking Little House on the Prairie, guys. So energy is that saver of labor. And in a wilderness survival course, we don't teach energy. We teach fire. Fire is energy. So we need to think of energy that way. Health and sanitation. This gets so overlooked. Imagine you can't flush your toilet for a month. What are you going to do? Guys are like, I'll go pee on a tree. Yeah, that can that can work for a while. What about the other thing? Oh, the number two stuff. What about if you have a family of four? That's a lot of number twos. 30 days of number twos. Assume one a day for four people, right? The 120 number twos. I'm not going to get into what to do. I have tons of information on all this stuff, but you, you might want to have a plan for that. Right? What are you going to do? Will it work for your five-year-old or your 12-year-old daughter that's like ill gross? You got to think about these things. But the bigger thing is what kills the most people every year in regards to the disasters is not the disaster. It's the aftermath and it's health and sanitation. There was a very famous few years ago earthquake in Haiti, massive disaster. It was like something like 80x people died from dysentery and diarrhea than died because buildings fell on them. 
And what we think in this country is, no, not here, as though we're immune to our infrastructure being destroyed by nature or by warfare or by sabotage. That somehow we just don't get dysentery in the United States, Jack. That's not a thing. Read your history books about the early colonies and early United States. Read your history books about the early United States and malaria. We, we, we have got to, to focus on this, but there's also another side to health and sanitation, the health. The health. So if you have shitty food, you'll have shitty health. If you have no food, you'll have poor health. If you have bad water, you will die eventually. It will kill you. And when I just said that more people died of like diarrhea, dysentery, et cetera, in the Haitian earthquake and in many disasters around the world, the number one reason is because of, of not having access to clean, healthy water. Because if you give a person about to die of dehydration the choice between drinking shit water or no water, they'll drink the shit water every time. Sooner or later, they'll break down and do it. They'll kill themselves. Because thirst will be overriding, and they have two choices, risk it, or they know they're going to die of dehydration. So we, we have to tie in food and water and shelter to our health and sanitation. And if we did that, we'd have a much broader understanding of how this all works. And again, back to how this relates to Bitcoiners. Bitcoiners come into this space because they realize the harsh truth. They realize that they have been lied up to about money, economics, and the systems that the two operate their entire lives. And so it is, it is completely natural that once you have that thread that you begin to pull on it and you pull back that veil. And then you say to yourself, what else is wrong? And you should. Don't let anything I've said today dissuade you from becoming a really dyed-in-the-wool, die-hard prepper. But then think about the multifaceted nature of doing that. It, it, let's, let's put me in the role of the Navy SEAL or the Delta Force guy, even though I never did either of those things. I wasn't For those who don't know me, I was in the military for three years. I was in the United States Army Airborne. But it doesn't matter. You put me in that role and you say, hey, Jack, I want you to come out to my place. First of all, I don't do consulting, so don't ask. But let's say I did. And I come out to your place and you say, so I'm wondering where people will attack me from. I'm going to say, okay, so if we're going to keep having that conversation, I'm not sure I can help you. And I'm going to, we're going to try to get past it. And the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to look at your property and its location in regards to your infrastructure. And I'm going to start asking you, well, how, what are you prepared for right now? Well, I, I got you here to help me get prepared. Stop. What are you already prepared for? What have you already done? I'm going to start forming an assessment. That's going to tell me what's important to you and what work you're willing to do and what work you're not willing to do. And most of the answers are going to be, I don't know, not much. You know, I bought some food from my Patriot supplier or something. And you just overpaid for a bucket full of pasta and beans. Okay. So we're going to say, well, let's let's take a look at your income. Where does it come from? How at risk is that? And what would happen to you if it was cut off next week? That would be like one of my first questions. How big is your property? What do you eat? Not what can you grow? Let's start. What do you eat now? How can we start creating a redundancy within the food system on your property? What do you what do you use energy for that's critical 
really important, nice to have, total luxury. Now we can start looking at your energy quotient from a standpoint of the critical has to be met and the important really should be met. We can live without the other two. So if we're building an off-grid system, we're building it to the critical and the really important first, even if we get to where you don't need the grid at all. Yeah? What, how much money do you have? Not so you can pay me a fat fee for consulting, which I think some of these guys are after, right? Some of these guys, they get out. They don't have a lot of things to do other than go into some form of private security or work for Blackwater or something. And they, they, they make friends with people who have some coin and they think, yeah, I could sell my service. There's nothing wrong with that. But I mean, they really don't know the things that I'm telling you about. They don't specialize in survivalism as a person living in, 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 a, in the modern world that's trying to build resiliency into their life. They specialize in shooting people. There's times that you have to shoot people. Really are. They're good at it. They're good trainers for it. But you leave all these other things out. So I don't know what your budget is. Not for me, for yourself. Because I'm not going to write this plan out that involves you putting in a couple hundred thousand gallons of rain catch because it's not affordable to put a well in where you're at. And that would make you energy dependent on the well versus volumetric and elevated pressure of the rain catchment if you don't have the money to do the rain catchment. Or you don't have the roof surface to do the rain catchment, right? Or you don't have the rainfall to warrant that much rain catchment. Everything is situational. And so if, I, if you ask me to consult on your own little homestead or your future homestead, these are the aspects that I would look at. Where should your garden be? And no, it shouldn't be way out there by the fence. It should be somewhere where you will have to maintain it. Do you want livestock? How often are you going to be on this property? Are you going to live there? but you work 12-hour days, five days a week? Or do you work from home and you're going to be there pretty much every day? How much work will you really put into your homestead on a daily basis, weekly basis, monthly basis? And whatever number you tell me, I'm going to cut it in half and I'm going to build the system to 50% of your answer because you're probably either lying or you mean well and you're still lying, but you don't know you're lying. You're misleading yourself. You don't really know the answer to that. What is your climate? What is your climate like? Do you live in a place where it freezes four months out of the year, three months out of the year, two? Do you live in a place like Texas where your freezes are spotty? Do you live in South Texas or South Florida or Mexico where it never freezes? I have totally different plans for you based on those things, what you should be growing, how you should be. Do you want a business of your own? Do you want to monetize your homestead? Do you want to build community? Yeah. Okay. Why? If your answer is because when everybody comes and tries to take what we have, we're going to back you off that ledge because you're making the decision out of fear and you will make a stupid decision almost every time when you make it out of irrational fear when it doesn't need to be made out of fear. Fear has a purpose. You are standing on the side of the road. You see some maniac hauling ass in a car. He looks like he's going to hit you. You bail out and get out of the way. Yeah, that has a purpose. You lunge out of the way because he's really close. That makes sense. The dude is driving like a maniac. He's half a mile down the road, though, and there's a cliff here. You have all the time in the world to walk across the street, go across the other side, walk up on top of a hill and film him wreck. But you freak out and you act in fear and you jump off the ledge and you get hurt or you kill yourself. And then the guy hits a tree a quarter mile down the road, never gets to you. 
That's when a person is answering that question that way, that they are coming from a place of fear. You have time to think about what you're doing and be methodical and logical with your rollout. And when you don't do that, you will make a bad decision. So I would talk you off that ledge. I want to build community because I want to put in a group of small, tiny houses and I want to rent them Airbnb style as a source of revenue. And I'll just close if something goes shit wrong. There's people that I would bring in to help me during that period. And I would just shut down that revenue stream and make sure I build in a way that I could afford to. And I would have a place for those people to be. Now we're talking. Now we're having a discussion. Now I can start to do things for you, right? Now I don't have to worry about talking. Now I know I'm dealing with somebody who's thought through this. What is your plan for food? Again, do you want livestock? Yeah, I want all the livestock. No, you don't. You have no infrastructure. Let's start with a single animal, maybe a chicken, maybe a duck, maybe maybe sheep. But let's let's first figure out, okay, does your land make sense for that animal? Does that animal produce a waste stream? Does it provide a way to deal with a waste stream? How does that integrate into your lifestyle? And what is the infrastructure required for you to get that animal and bring it here and not hate your life? Okay, let's 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 economically gain out game out the cost of that infrastructure. And maybe the cost of the infrastructure for animal A is a lot less than animal B. Maybe we're starting with animal A to see if it's right for you first so that we make decisions in a good logical order. And if you've really done the work as a Bitcoiner, then everything I'm saying should make sense to you, right? What I'm saying in Bitcoin lingo, stay humble, stack sats. Think about what it's like when you, as a, if you are a, a matured Bitcoiner, you've pretty much given up on shitcoining, don't really care for it, Go on with your life. You're in mostly a DCA mode. You pay attention to what's being developed on Bitcoin and what have you and the ordinals crap or whatever. But in general, you kind of go on with your life and you're always investing. And when it goes up, you're happy. And when it goes down, you don't care. You buy more. You're that person. You figured all of that out and you don't worry. What if they ban it, man? You're, you've done that. You've been through it. You're over it. You've gone on. You don't react anymore to every single story that comes out in mainstream media that ends up on 99 Bitcoins, Bitcoin obituaries. It's just like I have 700 stories of Bitcoin dying, right? You're done. You meet a person online, real life, doesn't matter. They're a shit coiner that's found Bitcoin. And they start bringing all these things to you. Do you think that person's a freaking idiot? Or do you remember I used to be him, right? I used to be that person. That used to be me. And then you patiently and calmly walk them through how to get to where you are. And then you have the common sense to realize this is a marathon, not a a sprint. And you plant a seed and you walk away and you hope that time does the work for them the way it did for you. That's modern preparedness. That's what it is. It's the same thing. We've all been there. Different things for different people and different levels for different people. I grew up homesteading because we were poor. 
So when I look at doing something as a homestead project, project, I don't think, what can I buy? I think, what do I have that I can use? Because we didn't have raised beds when I was a kid. My grandfather would have kicked my ass to use good, good lumber to make our garden out of raised beds when we had great soil. So I do raised beds here because I have to for a variety of reasons I won't get into today. But not because I like buying material for raised beds, but because I had to use it as an adaptation to my climate, my terrain, and my system. Yeah? But that's where I came from. I, I, I grew up with guns, and I think this is why I actually prefer ones like that are on the wall behind me there. I have the ARs. I have the AKs. I've got it all, right? But... I actually prepare, prefer the sporting arms. I get more, I would say prefer, I get more excited about like going out in the deer woods with that 357 behind me, right? Or knocking doves down in my backyard with that little uh, Mossberg 410 because I can do that without endangering my neighbors or pissing them off, right? Like I get excited about that. So I grew up killing animals that we ate because we were poor. I grew up the son of a bootleg coal miner. If you don't know what that is, look it up. It's not a great life. Um, and because we, we did all these preparedness things, and I'm talking 70s, 80s in rural Pennsylvania, because if power went out in the winter and you didn't have a generator, you were sunk. Yeah? You were sunk without it. We, we, you weren't going to be freezing, though, because we used a boiler system and coal, and we had a coal stove in the kitchen, so at least we would have been warm. But you were, had some problems without power. I grew up in a place where I think still to this day, the first day of deer season, school is closed. So when I came into preparedness, I had already been through a lot of this, kind of came up in it. And it's why I wasn't the best teacher, honestly, when I started, because I, I was not connected to the fact that not everybody grew up the way that I did. I, I didn't get it. I didn't get that not everybody grew up with, you know, a grandfather handing them a shotgun and walking behind them and watching for them to make one safety error and smacking them in the ear if they did. I didn't understand that not everybody was eight years old and cleaning dad's deer rifle because they got to do it. I didn't understand that people didn't know how to forage because they didn't do it when they were a kid because they were poor. So that helped me not go completely into the bad place. But I'm telling you, I still went at least a little bit into the bad place. You can hear some early podcasts with me talking about the cities burning. And I guess you could say they did, but not the way I was talking about. We all did these things and it's okay, but it's also only part of the journey. When you take the journey fully, you get into a point of being incredibly confident, but not arrogant. Stay humble, stack sats. I don't, what if there's a trucker strike? Good for months and months and months with the power goes off. I'm not off grid, guys. Wish I was, but I got enough power that I'm good for a month. After that, all the meat will be jerked or smoked or something if we go much longer than that. I'd like to get off grid, but like I said, you look at budget, location, system, lifestyle. Does that investment make the most sense? For me, it does not right now. It doesn't. There's other things I would rather do with the wealth, and that's okay. But we'll be fine. We'll be fine. And then you have to have fatalism. There are things that can go wrong that you can't fix. If a meteor lands on my house right now, you'll see a big flash, the feet will stop, and I'm gone. Nothing I can do about it. 
I am going to run to uh, the store with my grandson. I will drive even safer than I normally do because uh, my grandson's in there with me. But we could get hit by a gravel truck. Honest to God, an F-35 crashed right where we're going about four months ago into in a, in a store parking lot. If you were under that when it came down, you're gone, right? There are things that can go wrong. Our idiots running our country could cause a, a, a thermal global nuclear war. I, I'm, I'm back to what my grandmother told me about the Cuban Missile Crisis. My grandfather and her and their four children were in Lebanon. My grandfather was a military intelligence officer, so he knew as bad as people thought it was, it was actually worse. And the night that they really thought it might happen, they didn't tell the kids, no reason for them to worry. They put them all to bed. They got a bottle of Lebanese rose wine. They went up on the rooftop deck. They had a couple glasses of wine together and waited for the fireworks to go off because they knew there was no sense in, in, in worrying about what you did in control. There is a place for some fatalism. Some reality that, hey, we're all mortal. Someday we'll all check out. My goal in my life, though, is to understand whatever the date is that, that, that ends me. That I began somewhere in 1972, and then that date is an unknown. And in between those two dates, I have a dash. That when I die, unless everybody goes with me in a giant freaking 99 Luff balloon event, They'll put somewhere an obituary, a stone, a marker, something, and it'll say Jack Spierko, 1972 dash whatever. And that dash is me and my life. And I want my life to be as meaningful and as resilient as possible between those two days. That's why I do what I do. That's why I teach what I teach. That's why I come across with this approach. And that's why I'm a Bitcoiner, guys. Because our lives are the expenditure of energy on something. And currency should be based on the storage, the durable storage of energy expended. And that it should be durable enough that somebody can't go devalue it. If Bitcoin is a battery, if this little thing is I'm holding my hand, it's a remote control for my studio lights. Right. You see the lights go on and off there. Right. So. If this was actually a storage unit, not a Bitcoin hardware wallet, it was just an energy storage unit, and we were paid in energy, and it was a, just a really super space-age battery, better, better than anything Elon Musk can dream of, let alone produce, that, it could, that this little thing could hold enough battery juice to power my house for a month. And I went to a job, a J-O-B, and I worked for, look, Brian's here in the chat, so I worked for Brian. And every week when I got paid, Brian had a machine that said, you expended 40 hours of work. Here's the energy you get in return for that. And I had that. That would actually be a pretty good monetary system. It wouldn't be bad, right? Assuming Brian had the energy to give me, but that's just money. And as long as the energy stayed in this battery, if there wasn't a phantom draw against this battery, that would be a pretty sound monetary system. Because energy itself is finite, it's limited, you can't have unlimited energy. And so we would have a natural cap on the solution. But what if this device, as good as it was at storing energy, had a leak? And the energy itself leaked out of it. Worse, what if Brian was a bastard 
What if Brian was a global bankster bastard? And when the money leaked out of it that he paid me, it went back. It didn't leak. It wirelessly Tesla style transmitted old Tesla, not new Tesla, transmitted back to Brian's hands. That's fiat. That's fiat. The bleed we call inflation is not a direct bleed as in it's gone like a battery. It goes back to the source. The banks profit through inflation. The government's profit through inflation. It's a hidden tax. But what if now I had this, this battery, and you can't take the energy back, and it's a perfect battery where the energy's never drained. We put 10 billion Satoshis in it, and a 1,000 years from now, if I don't spend any of it, and the world hasn't ended, there's still 10 billion Satoshis. The subjective value of those is totally independent from the fact that you did not take anything from it, and we still have a finite cap. That's Bitcoin. That's what Bitcoin is. And this is why I'm here at the end, instead of teaching Bitcoiners about prepping, trying to teach you thick skulled preppers about Bitcoin. The group of people in the world, if you don't talk mainstream knuckleheads, People that are open to different ideas, that are independent thinkers, that are liberty-minded. Out of all of those people, the people that should be the most into Bitcoin are preppers. It's why Bitcoiners become preppers. If it wasn't true, that wouldn't happen. They would just be Bitcoiners, and they would say, I got my magic sky money, and I'm going to go on about my life and live my life the way I always had and not worry about it. There's a reason there's such a and it's it's a it's a cascading movement. There's more and more and more. And part of it is the network effect of Bitcoin's community, not Bitcoin, the blockchain. And what I mean by that is there's big name people in Bitcoin. You can think of some of them, Michael Saylor, et cetera. Right. And there's influencers among those big names that are maybe not as big a name, but they have a lot of influence. So when they discover something. They have people that they talk to that trust them, even though we say don't trust verify. When you verified enough times, you actually trust. So when they figure out, hey, you know what? Our food supply shit, but there's American ranchers that will sell you top quality beef and take Bitcoin for it. And they go out and tell people in their network about it. The person that never even thought about eating grass fed beef from an American rancher that they know on a first name basis go, oh, wow, I, 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 didn't, I didn't know that. And then that starts a journey. Or when a major Bitcoiner like Michael Saylor, if you go back and listen to the Saylor season, uh, series with Robert Breedlove, and you should, you know, he says, right, he has all these things he drops in this. He's like, you want to be healthy? Eat meat, don't eat carbs and eat twice a day. He says something to that effect and just, rifles through it. It's one little spot in a 13-episode series, but it has a huge network effect. So Bitcoiners discover all of these little pieces from their own network effect, and they funnel into our world as preppers. We should be funneling the other way because it is a symbiosis. It really is. Anyway, um, I don't see a lot of questions that came in today. Hopefully I didn't miss them. Jeffrey, very early on, asked me, if are you still in R? Okay, 
I always get this question when I say shit coin and stuff like that. Here's the deal, guys. Up until a couple of years ago, I was open to just about any alternative coin being possibly valid. But I also still said 99% of them were complete garbage. And I tried to outsmart the market thinking I, Jack Spirico, could pick the 1% that had a use case. And I saw a lot of interesting use cases come out of the alternative uh, cryptocurrency world. And a lot of these things were things that Bitcoin just didn't do well yet. But I also was always like, Bitcoin could still eat everything, and it probably will. I think there's a video of me in 2016 saying that in my garage during one of my big workshops. So my garage is like 1,800 square feet, big, big building. And I had a you know group of people in there. And I think I remember 2016 was like the first time I ever said Bitcoin could still eat everything. Lightning Network came around as a concept, and now it's not done being developed, but is a fully developed thing. And it ate 90% of the use cases of alternative currency. Cryptocurrencies like Monero and R that have complete privacy, assuming you have other good privacy practices. If someone is recording your screen when you do a transaction on R, it's not private. Okay. It, it's, it's, it's not private. And I see your question, Joe. And anybody else has any other q and I got some time left today. Go ahead and put the questions in all caps and we'll answer them. Um, I, I like that use case. I have a lot of R because I bought a lot of R when it was four cents. And I consider holding it, hoping for a second big altcoin season in the next run up, which we are heading into right now. We have I think the bottom I'll, I'll say I believe the bottom is in on Bitcoin for this cycle that we had it. And I was off by about a thousand dollars in what the bottom was. I predicted fourteen four. I believe we got right around fifteen five. So eleven hundred, a thousand bucks. I was off by. And I said that back when Bitcoin was at like forty thousand dollars. Just just for the record there. And usually what happens is we get into a, a big cycle with Bitcoin on the upswing, and then right after that, usually there's two big peaks in a cycle, and then a correction, and then it's up forever from there, right? Um, and it's usually between those two peaks that you have an altcoin season. And I wouldn't put the money there now, but it's already there. And it has to do with Joe's question about tax implications as to why I wouldn't just liquidate now what I have and put it all in Bitcoin. I think it's a good risk play. And I have lots of Bitcoin stock away. And for a little bit, like, oh, I like silver. Yeah, I got that, too. I like real estate. I got that, too. Well-diversified portfolios. Not all Bitcoin to the exclusion of everything else, because that's all eggs, one basket. Really, 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 really bad. All right. So the last real use case scenario that I see is total private transactions. And I like I, I believe flat out that Pirate Chain, ticker symbol ARRR, is the most private cryptocurrency that exists. It is the most private cryptocurrency you can have. It is the hardest to decrypt. But Monero is very, very good. Truthfully, Monero has a larger network effect. More people use it, more people take it, more exchanges sell it. So it's more liquid, it's more fungible. So if I had to pick between the two right now, I'm siding with Monero. But I see these as specific use cases. If I want to do a transaction, I want it to be inherently private. Since I don't spend a lot of Bitcoin... As Bitcoin, once it goes into holdings, I'm not exactly worried about that right now. I have some Monero. I have some Pirate Chain. I probably always will. 
But I do believe we may get to a point where it's unnecessary because we'll be able to do totally private Bitcoin transactions eventually. Joe says, is there tax implications if I'm paid in Bitcoin and need to transfer it to fiat to pay bills? Yes and yes. So the minute you're paid it, there's a tax implication. It's income, assuming it's reported income. Right. So I'm not saying to break any laws. I'm just saying this is how, you know, how it generally works. So if I pay you in Bitcoin as your employer, it goes on your W-2 at the value when I paid you, just like all the rest of your money. Yeah. If you sell it, there is a tax implication, not necessarily a tax consequence. If when I paid you, Bitcoin was, let's just make a low number here, just to get in people's heads, five, whatever that means. And when you sold it, was at four? Yeah. And you sold it to convert it to fiat. You would then report a loss of one. If it was at six, you would report a gain of one. This is why I don't like spending my Bitcoin. Unless I'm using it to create a tax deduction, which you can do completely legally. I mean, you could video yourself doing it, send it to the IRS, and it's okay. Bitcoin, for now, all crypto, is immune from what's called the wash rule. So let's say I'm holding Ford stock and I have a big loss this year. I can sell it, report the loss, capital loss, on my taxes and reduce my tax burden. But I can't buy the stock back. It's either 30 or 60 days. I have to wait. It's called the wash rule. Otherwise, everybody would always capture all the losses. Well, crypto has a loophole in this right now. So if I and I'm not going to get into like how do you manage by UTXO versus first in, first out or whatever today. But I I have capital loss harvested Bitcoin and other cryptos. And it's it's totally legit. Right. Joe's adding to it non KYC Bitcoin. Okay, so. You're asking me what is supposed to be, right? And so, yes, but if you want to cheat on your taxes, I'm not going to turn you in. As public as I am, I, I'll tell you flat out, I don't. I don't. I, I maximize taking every legal deduction there is so I have the smallest tax footprint possible, right? I have a good CPA. I have a, I have a tremendously amazing CPA, my old CPA was actually a tax attorney and a CPA, and he was he was like an accounting god. The guy was so good. And the girl that we have now was his personally trained uh, like protege before he retired. And he handed us off to her. So that's how I do it. But, you know, you can you can try to hide it if you want to. But that's no different than any other form of income. All right. Um Mortimer says, my question is at the top of the stack. Well, then you should ask it again, Mortimer, because I can't scroll back through 100 uh, questions. Uh, more Saturday. Where, how do you recommend buying crypto? Coinbase or is there something better? There's definitely something better than than Coinbase to buy. Buy Bitcoin, which is what you should be buying, not crypto. Uh, but you buy what you want. But I don't care. I think that this is way over talked about. If you want no KYC Bitcoin, you're either buying it privately or somebody's buying something you for it, from you for it, or et cetera, then no paper trail, and then you have some no KYC Bitcoin. And that's a good thing. I'm not saying it's not. If you're going to buy Bitcoin for fiat, I don't care where you buy it, you're going to have to KYC in. If you're going to buy it for fiat from a brokerage, a Coinbase, a Swan Bitcoin, Strike, I don't care who. So that's already that's already done. And this should be forever money anyway. So you can buy it, put it in cold storage. 
It can go up a thousand fold. You owe zero dollars in taxes until you spend some of it. And then you own the gain on what you spent or you sold. That's all. You can hold it for a hundred years. It can go up a thousand fold a year. You owe nothing. You can go from being worth a thousand dollars to a billion dollars. You still owe nothing. That's, that's how it works. This is how the wealthy have always operated. They buy appreciating assets. They never sell them unless they roll them into different appreciating assets and they borrow against it. So they have cash flow without income and Bitcoin can work the same way. So I don't care where you buy it. What I care you do is you buy it and you withdraw it immediately. We talked about defensible positions today. If you're holding your Bitcoin or other crypto on on an exchange, any exchange, no matter how ethical they are. And I think, for instance, Swan Bitcoin is one of the most ethical companies, not just Bitcoin companies, one of the most ethical companies on the planet. But if they get a letter that says, uh, dear Swan Bitcoin Exchange, here is a subpoena for all of the information pertaining to more Saturday's account with you and a request that you lock their account immediately. They're going to comply with it because they're a U.S. company subject to U.S. law. But if they send that to Swan Bitcoin and you have a hundred bucks that you just bought on your DCA, weekly DCA there, and that's all you have, they can get your records which just says you own Bitcoin. Okay, good luck with that information. But all they can all they can lock up is the hundred bucks. If you bought fifty thousand dollars worth of Bitcoin over the last three years and it's in cold stores, they can't touch it. So I've never, ever, ever cared, never cared where you bought it. Here's another person trying to beat the system. What platforms can you use Bitcoin where it's not taxed or ten ninety nine? It's time to stop thinking this way. <laughs> For everything I've just said, it, if you are paid from an entity that issues a 1099 in dollars, Bitcoin, or shitcoin, then it's on the 1099. If you're paid under the table, you're paid under the table. You have to figure that out. There's no platform that does this. This is not a platform question. This is an entity. Who are you dealing with? Who's the counterparty? Who's the other party, Right. Bitcoin's about not having counterparty risk, but not not having a counterparty. There has to be somebody on the other side. Um, any thoughts on XRP versus Ripple? Um, Ripple is garbage. It's shit. It's a WEF shitcoin. So I, I don't have any thoughts on that. I, I don't really care. And XRP is Ripple. I think they meant XMR or Ripple, Tom, but those are that's like. Totally divergent things. XMR uh, is uh, is the ticker symbol for Monero. Monero is a mined coin that is decentralized. Um, and I would I would make the case it's just as decentralized as Bitcoin. Maybe it doesn't have quite the immaculate conception of a Bitcoin, but it is decentralized. There's node runners and miners. Everything's just, you know kind of very similar. It, it, it XMR is to uh, XMR is to Bitcoin as Light Litecoin is to Bitcoin. It's it's a kind of a clone with features added to it. But in the case of uh, Monero, instead of it just being lower cost and faster transactions, which it's really not faster, um, it is got privacy added onto it. So that that's what that is. Uh, Joe says, how about peer to peer? You can do anything you want. Like I said, if you want no KYC Bitcoin, 
then the best thing you can do is sell somebody something for Bitcoin as, as payment. You can go to somebody you know and trust and say, I want to buy Bitcoin for you. You can also end up in some of these systems that are set up to automate this, end up in, you know, being prosecuted for money laundering. Uh, Kenneth says strike and Exodus wallet are good together, too. I, I don't care about the wallet so much, though I do recommend Exodus. But strike and Exodus are like saying, I don't know, pork and beef. And that's 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 not even a divergent enough thing. Oranges and beef. Exodus is a wallet. Strike is a place that you buy Bitcoin. You can buy and spend Bitcoin or you can send Bitcoin without buying it. So I like Strike. I like Strike for one off. Hey, look, the price just dropped five points. I want to buy an extra hundred bucks worth this week because I can pull my Strike app up on my phone. And I can say deposit $100 from my debit card. Boom, it's in there. Seconds. I don't even have to buy Bitcoin. I can take my hardware wallet and gener actually I use my software wallet to generate an address for my hardware wallet. Boop. Send. And I just sent myself $100 of Bitcoin without buying it. I like Strike because if I go to a place and they accept Bitcoin, oh, you accept Bitcoin. Yeah, how much is that going to be? $121.75. Yeah, let's put $123 in there, right? Deposit, scan. I pay them in Bitcoin. I have no tax consequence. I never had Bitcoin. I had dollars. That's why I like it. The reason I recommend Exodus, personally, I use Zeus and I run nodes, okay? And I'm at that level. Most people getting into this are not going to be anytime soon. Some never will be. They don't want to. They want to have some level of self-custody. The reason I like Exodus is if you have a problem and you reach out to Exodus support, they will actually help you in a functional way. And if you uh, store your Bitcoin on a hardware wallet like a Trezor, it will pair it will pair seamlessly with Exodus. And then you have all the security of the hardware wallet and the user interface and support that goes along with using the Exodus wallet. So that's why I recommend that. If you go to the BitcoinBreakout.com forward slash tools, you will find everything I recommend. I'm going to answer a few more and we're going to go. How would you scale up from 0.04 Bitcoin to a whole coin? The funds are wasting away in a bank account, 2K limit a day on ACH transfer. That's not a big limit. That's not a big limit. I, I think you're better off coming in across time anyway with that level of a purchase. I would just keep doing it at whatever level you're comfortable with on a daily basis until you get there. The fact that you have the money is, is reason alone to not worry about it. If you, if that's not a sufficient answer for you, Mortimer, then what I'm going to say is you're, you're already in FOMO for the next cycle and you need to stop. There will be many corrections on the road up from here. Like I said, I think the bottom's in doesn't mean we couldn't see 19 K next, next week. And then you're like, damn it. I should have waited by, by just DCA in but you're DCA DCAing in daily. And I would say 2K a day. I wouldn't even do that. You know, I might do $100 a day. That's $700 a week. You're not that far from being a whole coiner at that rate. I might do 200. I might do 300. I might do, you know, two grand today and then $100 a day and, and keep bringing more of the money over. Yeah. And waiting for those drops and buying bigger blocks in the drops. It, it's up to you. But in the end, just relax. You, you got lots of time here. 
Can you employ young kids and pay them for a tax deduction? Not really related to today, but yes, there are rules to that. CPA, tax attorney. That will always be my answer when you're asking specific questions like that. With that, I think I am going to wrap up today. It looks like I've got all the all caps stuff answered uh, as best I can. I really hope that makes sense. I really hope if you are a Bitcoiner and you found this show today, because you're interested in preparedness, that you take my words to heart and realize this just like you would tell a person. This is actually a great way to end this. You got somebody trying to run a sprint and get their money as fast as they can all of it into Bitcoin. Any seasoned Bitcoiner would have given some version of the answer I gave. Take your time. Stay humble. DCA stack sats. It's a marathon, not a sprint. It'll be fine. You'll if you if you're in that position, you're going to be a whole coiner plus. It's good. Use other services to stack sats. You know, listen to your podcasts on Fountain. Every sat counts. Share value. Get the fold card. Use other rewards programs and just keep stacking sats. And don't worry about it. It's going to be okay. Any seasoned prepper would tell the Bitcoiner coming into the world of preparedness, take your time, assess your lifestyle, follow Jack's 12 tenets of modern survivalism, ease yourself into it, design your life accordingly, take one step at a time and become more resilient every day. And in a year, two or three, you'll look back and you won't believe how far you've come, which is the same advice you'd give to a fat guy going on a diet. Get on a good diet, get into a routine, do exercise, stop eating crap food. You took years to get here. You're not going to get out in a month. Stay humble, work the plan, and you will become healthy because that's the system and it works. You, It's the same answer. It's pattern recognition. It's pattern recognition. Well, anyway, guys, if you like the show and the work that I do, remember there are some things you can do to help support us. One is to do your online shopping at tspaz.com. That's T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. I don't have an item of the day for you today, but if you go to tspaz.com, you can see all the items that I have reviewed over the years. If it's there, I own it, I bought it, and I'd spend my money on it again, including you'll find some legacy reviews where it says, I don't recommend this anymore because I found something better. And you can start your shopping there whenever you shop online and help us out. You don't have to buy the item we recommended. You just have to start your shopping there. I really appreciate it when you do that. It's a painless way to help us. You're probably going to buy something online this week or this month. Anyway, tspaz.com first. Get all my great information, all my reviews. But even if you just start there, you're going to help us out. The other way is become a member of the Members Support Brigade. To do that, go to the survivalpodcast.com and click on Members. And this is about money, right? So even if you think I'm a jerk, Right. In the bad way, not the good way that some people make a joke about. Right. You think I'm a jerk. That's OK. That's fine. You should still be an MSB member, because if you like all the stuff we're talking about today and you use all the discounts I have, $50 a year is going to probably save you a couple hundred dollars a year. And you could use that to buy more Bitcoin or something for your homestead. With that, I hope you guys enjoyed today's show. I know I did. Tomorrow, I'm going to have something completely different. Charles, Charles Mayfield will be returning to the Survival Podcast for his third appearance. And tomorrow's show, let me get it right the way that we're going to, what I've called it, swine, salt, and time. Swine, salt, and time. Not the time, not the seasoning, not the, the herb. Time, the thing. Time, like a time, time chain. Hyper niche 
backyard pork production. We're going to tell you how to take care of pigs. We're going to tell you how to turn them into deliciousness that stores without refrigeration. Perfect for the type of thing that we were talking about today. We're going to tell you how to use community around the concept. It's going to be awesome. Charles is a great dude. I look forward to having him on tomorrow. And with that, it's been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Are they going to bail you out or just run you around? They said you should have a house the American way. A dollar down, a dollar a month, and you never have to pay. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way.